Hello, AOC listener, and welcome to another episode. A tiny solo time before we get started. It means so much if you spread the word about the art of comics, rate it highly in your preferred app, or send the link to your pals. And should you wish to support the show financially, head on over to patreon.com slash jaws underscore stone. Thank you! In today's episode, we're discussing Yokohama Kaidashi Kiko, which is made by Hitoshi Ashinano. We cover the first omnibus, which spans from chapter 1 to 24, and as always, we go full spoiler. I strictly don't know if it's necessary, but for peace of mind, a general trigger warning. We do talk quite a lot about sexual discomfort, and also harken back to New York, New York a couple of times. The mood board for reading YKK is as follows. Try to channel inner nostalgia for the mangas and animes of old, because it is certainly necessary for this one. Oh, and perhaps put on some light jazz. Let's ride that Vespa! Hi, I'm Paul Duffield, a comic book creator who's currently looking over the precipice of planning a Kickstarter. Hi, I'm Joss Stone, and I've drawn two and a half pieces today, worked out, now recording a podcast, and I still feel like I have not done enough with my day. We all know what the post-apocalypse looks like. Mad gangs on bikes raiding towns of bedraggled survivors who are about to tear each other apart in suspicion and desperation anyway. But what if, what if it were all different? What if, as the population shrank, the world calmed down and small communities who know each other well made do with things? This very, very strange manga explores this possibility in perhaps the most idiosyncratic way possible. The beauty of this podcast is how Paul and I get the chance to introduce one another to new and old comics. Sometimes you have beautiful results like The Walking Man, while other times you get complete duds like New York, New York. Knowing this was a story Paul liked, I did my very best to get invested. I sat down at a local cafe to get the vibes just right, patiently made my way through, and manifested for the manga to win me over. I have to say, however, that when Paul's text ticked in last night and read like this, quote, My friend, I will say this and nothing more before we record the show, but this comic is nothing like I remembered, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, XD, XD, end quote. I immediately braced for a soft repeat of New York, New York. Given your blurb, I should probably give a bit of a background primer to this. Please do. When I was about probably 20, 22, I watched an anime adaptation of this comic. It was an OVA and I remember it just being so unique and interesting and chill that I'd been really excited to read the manga and at the time you had to get scanlations and stuff, I couldn't be bothered. So when I saw that Seven Seas had published an omnibus edition of it, I was like, oh, we should do it for the show because I have such fond memories of the anime and wow. I could not have prepared myself for, the, for what is in these pages. I'm not sure anything could have prepared me for it. It's just like, if I had pitched this story to you, if I'd actually explained what was in the plot before we'd read the manga, based on my memory alone of the anime from nearly 20 years ago now, I would have said it was like a post-apocalyptic walking man. Mm-hmm. Just super calm and chill, all about the beauty of reflection and nature and taking time. Boy, was my memory off. (laughs) Well, actually, we'll get to that later. But boy, was I wrong about the manga. So as I led in with my blurb, I really went in with an open mind to this. 
The cover looked hella cute. Your fondness and nostalgia really made it promising to me. And I sat down and I opened it up and the 10 first page, I was like, okay, yeah, I can see the Walking Man comparison. It's silent. There's just a lot of art without speech bubbles. It's just the main character progressing through the scenarios. And then the characters started interacting with one another. And I sat there going, huh, hum, okay. Uh... This feels a little jarring, but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a sip of my coffee. I'm gonna give it another go. We got like fucking 500 pages of this bad boy to get through, so we just gotta keep on chucking. When I was halfway and my coffee was long since consumed, I really started questioning reality. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Oh my god. I'm really not sure how to describe this book. Um, so should we just describe what's literally in it for anyone who hasn't read it? We should do that. And also, I have written up a list of the characters, of course. As I alluded to in my blurb, the plot setup is effectively that you have a post-apocalyptic world, but instead of everybody devolving into monsters and killing each other, society just gets smaller and people seem to treat each other more gently. It's a bit sort of small town, but everywhere. Presumably the apocalypse sort of brought everyone together. Our main character, Alpha, is a perfectly humanoid robot who runs a coffee shop. You can think of this as a sort of a post-apocalyptic coffee shop AU. (laughs) Gets to know the locals around the place, meets some people, goes some places, and that's about it in terms of what really happens. Yeah, that's the thing. That's kind of the deceiving thing. Because when presented like that, it sounds really interesting. It sounds warm and like a very fresh take on the post-apocalyptic setting, which was one of my first notes. As soon as I realized that's what this was, I went, oh, this is so refreshing. No Fallout, no Horizon Zero Dawn, none of that nonsense. No offense to people who love that. I'm just very tired of it. And instead, we get this very kind (laughs) of return to basics where people are being kind to one another and they're being traders. And it's very much like instead of capitalism, you have goods traded for goods. And it's so sweet until it really isn't. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I just want to say off the bat that that my 100% experience with this manga, the way that I would sum up the whole thing, is deeply uncomfortable. I am very glad that you're saying that, because I wrote some notes before I realized that this was kind of a softcore New York, New York version for us. Yeah. (laughs) And I was so worried bringing this to the table and maybe getting a very different reaction from you than I had. No. I mean, here's a perfect illustration. So there's this character that she meets. She calls him Uncle, and he is drawn with this rictus grin, like literally a rictus grin that takes up nearly a half of his very strangely formed face. His expression never changes. And his dialogue is just weirdly suspicious constantly. He never does anything wrong or unusual, but he just made me deeply uncomfortable for the entire thing. Like he was secretly the perverted uncle that we're all horribly familiar with from anime tropes, but that he'd never quite say it out loud. That kind of thing permeated the whole thing. Like there was something deeply unsettling just below the surface, probably in the author's mind. (laughs) 
that kept on coming through in these weird little moments. Did you feel the same thing? 100%. I made a note. <laughs> Good, I'm glad it wasn't just me. No, I, I had the, the thought while reading this where I went, is it me? Like, am I just a deviant? Am I primed to be suspicious and highly alert for this kind of stuff because of, you know, modern society? But the note that I made was feels like a story aiming for a sweet sense of nostalgia through a corrupted adult lens. Yes, that's a really good way of putting it. It's like the author can't see the way in which he's objectifying the main character constantly. It sort of feels like Alpha is his little plaything. He just gets delight out of like writing about her in a really creepy way, but nothing deeply creepy ever happens it leaves you just bracing for more. Um, and then there are some other elements of it that we'll probably end up going into, which just reinforce that, that don't have to do with the main character. Yeah, absolutely. This is the thing. All of the names are obviously in Japanese and I am turbo trash, so I sincerely apologize for any mispronunciation. We've already touched upon Alpha, who is the main character and she is a robot. Then there's Takahiro, who is a child and he hangs out a lot with Alpha. Then it's Kokone, a robot, then there's Uncle, as previously mentioned, who is this gas station owner, then there's the Doctor, who is an older flame of the Uncle, question mark, and she is this hard-ass, cool, older lady character, then there's Ayase, a bum slash nomad, also a middle-aged dude, and then there's the Osprey, which is a sea creature of some sort, and here I wrote, slash, naked lady. <laughs> which I think <laughs> brings us pretty eloquently into, if we're already just listing off stuff that made us uncomfortable reading this, the Osprey in general, why is there just this random naked lady that 100% looks human? There's nothing sea creature about her. Maybe in the anime where you can see actually colors, like maybe she's blue or something. I don't fucking know. She's not in the anime as far as I know. Okay. She's not screen toned in any way to suggest that she looks otherworldly. So essentially she's just a very objectified woman who behaves very childish. Cat-like almost? Yeah, she's like a cat baby trapped in a grown woman's body. Very bizarre. And for some reason, she's attracted to children. Not in a sexual way, question mark, but it is portrayed very uncomfortably when she interacts with Takahiro. This is where, when I arrived at this section in the manga, that's when I went, ooh, ooh, okay, this is yuckity yeah, uh, yeah. yuckity. And this is also where I first made the mental note of, is this me being completely, utterly destroyed by society and that you can't have a naked adult around a child? But I do sincerely think there's just something about how it's portrayed in the manga where she is embracing him from behind, fully naked, holding him close to her in this cuddly way and it's just uncomfortable dude it's just always adjacent to the worst thing if that makes sense yeah and it's not just to do with the literal events going on it's to where it's to do with the way that the author draws women as well they're always in back arch poses they're always in sort of like cat stretches they're either slightly sexily posed or wistful and innocent looking there's no other mode in this manga I feel like, I don't know, maybe the author is just a porn artist in the majority of his life or something and doesn't know how to draw women in any other way or something. Because there's no, there's no pornography in here. 
it's all just mostly clothed people except for the osprey and even the osprey doesn't do anything overtly sexual there's just a sexual vibe about the artwork this is where i'm tempted to say it's just very of its time it started in 1994 and boy howdy does it show one of the very first notes i slapped into the comic itself with a post-it note was the first interaction between alpha and uncle she is driving her vespa over to his gas station to fill it up and he offers her gas for free. <laughs> I made a note like, yep, this is not a modern comic. Gas for free in this economy? <laughs> yeah. And there's something kind of, I hesitate to say innocent, but uh, carefree almost about its age, I guess, uh, and the way the art has aged particularly. I wouldn't say the art is particularly nice. It's quite cute. There are some nice scenes from time to time. It certainly reads okay panel to panel. But yeah, I don't think this is a kind of technically incredible artist or anything. I did a little googs and checked around for stuff just to make sure that I got everything correctly. And that's when I came across, because this was very recently translated to English, like I believe in the 2020s, if I'm not completely mistaken. Interesting. I am fairly certain that the edition that we read is relatively new. And in that regard, there was someone, don't remember who, not really important, I think, but someone was really praising it, saying, oh, there's nothing like this, and arguably there will never be anything like it again. And that's when I really had to go, did we read the same fucking thing, brother? Are you just that fucking horny for weird, sexualized adjacent vibes <laughs> with women and children? I'm just so confused. And another thing is, and I don't mean to put anyone on blast, but when I posted on social media that we were doing this, a lot of people were quite eager and I'm sitting here again did they read the manga or did they watch the anime like you or are we just so fucking brain rotted that we are reading this completely wrong <laughs> so here's where I should say that after I read this I was having a sort of an existential crisis <laughs> I was like how can I have watched an adaptation of this and thought oh yeah this is good <laughs> <laughs> so I dug into my old files and I still have a very, very old fan dub of the OVA. And I watched at least the first half of the first episode and it is completely different. It's exactly how I remember. It's really slow paced. There is barely any dialogue at all, maybe a few lines in the whole first episode. The style's almost identical, and there's a little bit of the sexualized figure drawing that I mentioned, but because it's not backed up with other weird stuff, it doesn't feel strange. And I found myself getting into that vibe that I remember, which is sort of this wistful, relaxed, almost melancholic beauty that suffuses the whole thing. And in the very few scenes that there are with people that I watched anyway, Alpha wasn't this kind of, <laughs> anime girl. <laughs> She was more mature, she was more reflective, more thoughtful and distant. It seems that some the person who adapted it to the anime had just spotted the qualities in it and turned them up to 11 and cut the osprey. The boy was barely in it, the uncle was only in it for a tiny bit. So the one character who is in it quite a bit is her friend Kokone. And in the anime, it feels like they have a relationship. They're really close with each other and they start out driving together. All the kind of things that come across as creepy in the manga come across as tender in the anime, or at least I thought so anyway. So I wonder whether a lot of people have just watched the anime and think naturally that the manga is more of the same, or whether when you're so steeped in these sexualized depictions of people, and when you're so steeped in the quite frankly troublesome world of 
manga and anime, the more dodgy stuff in this can just fly over your head because you're so used to it from other things. And it's worse in other things, to put it bluntly as well, not things I would read, but yeah. Yeah, that's a very good point, honestly, that you become scarily sanded down by consuming a lot of anime and manga. I could really notice that myself as a teenager. Of course, also being a teenager, you fail to see a lot of the troublesome stuff because of the age you're in yourself. And as we know, you like to think you're way more mature than you are. So the very troublesome scenarios that children are put in, you're just going, oh, I could have dealt with that. Or that's not a problem because that wouldn't have affected me or whatever. At least I was like that. I'm not going to try to pretend I was not. I 100% was. (laughs) And now as an adult, for example, my favorite thing to pick up and rip apart, Neon Genesis Evangelion that I never consumed as a teenager. And I watched it as an adult and I was like, what the flying fuck is this pedo-ass, psychedelic-ass trip? What is this? And there's so much of that in general in anime and manga. Deeply generalized, of course, but sadly, as a whole, it's far too common. So when you even get the smidgiest of vibes of that, like the slightest residue of that same content in anything, I immediately go Metal Gear Solid sound effect. Yeah, I think that's it. I think uh, older anime fans go one of two ways. They either start to really clock it, can no longer stomach it, or they've long since justified it somehow, or are so inured to it that they can't even see it happening and just carry on like usual. I sort of ended up in the kind of Metal Gear Solid noise category. And I guess because we both are, we've seen the same things in this. And I've had a lot of experiences recently with things that people have strongly recommended that I've just given up on very quickly because of these vibes. One from quite a while ago, actually, that keeps on coming up over and over, which I was just like, nope, uh, was Madoka Magica. Oh, baby boy. I have tried that show twice and dropped out at the same episode. And I just went, again, pedo ass shit. Exactly. It's just, there's no disguising it. And I think that if you're in a position where you've naturalized yourself to that kind of material, it's just, I, I don't know how to help you. You need to get out. <laughs> the, the thing is, I, I hesitate saying this stuff because I know it's so near and dear to so many people. Same with Neon Genesis Evangelion. Same with Madoka. Same with so many of these shows. Even Cardcaptor Sakura is at times quite troublesome when you look back on it with adult eyes. Yet people hold it in such high regards that I feel like if you dare to say anything of the problematic stuff, you're kind of setting yourself up for a public lynching. I don't... I really struggle drawing the line there for myself personally in how I behave around people who idolize this stuff. Since I am sitting there going, is it me? Are we just not seeing the same things? I don't want to judge you too harshly, brother, but this is harshing my vibes. It's very strange, isn't it? And I can see why there's a slight confusion there, because if you take something which I would, like, personally would say is genuinely wholesome and innocent, like a Ghibli movie, in which you do get casual nudity of characters that you totally wouldn't get in English films on rare occasions, that that kind of thing feels like a different cultural standard to me. Mm. And I think that there's a fine line between that and similar moments in which you can clearly feel the author's sexualization of the characters on top of those depictions. And that's when it gets uncomfortable for me. It's like a meta-analysis of the author a lot of the time or of the style. 
And I can see how people could argue that that was just plain wrong. But also as an artist and as somebody who has gone through periods of deliberately drawing sexualized depictions of people, I can tell the difference, I think. I don't know if this is just I have magic powers and I'm the first. (laughs) I know what it's like to sexualize your drawing. And I think some people just do it subconsciously almost. Yeah, no, I hear you. And I do really think you're onto something here. For some people, I do believe it is second nature. Some people just are much more sexual, and I do not mean that as a slight or as a negative remark in any way. I do, however, find it a little troublesome when you are depicting children, especially, and also when it's men depicting women, like cis men depicting cis women, or cis men depicting any form of woman, frankly. There's so little that's needed before you go, hmm, is this innocent or is this a fetish? And that's deeply worrying. And it's interesting that there's a lot in this book which is just almost kind of naively, almost comedically uncomfortable. And then there's this stuff which you're talking about, which was like, at times I put the book down and was like, should we be doing a podcast about this? (laughs) (laughs) There was especially another moment that I wrote down and it had me going, okay, great. Let's bring in the lesbian fetish as well. So there's a scene where... Kokone is visiting Alpha for the first time and they are very intrigued by one another because they're both robots and I'm sitting here going okay finally maybe there's going to be something very sweet between them and I wasn't even thinking romantically I was just purely thinking on a friendship level of here's two people with somewhat of a similar background even though they're different models and they are going to interact with one another. Kokane is showing up with a delivery she's basically a courier and the package is from Alpha's owner which uh, just going to put a pin in I hate the word owner used over and over in this manga but that's an entirely different conversation yeah i have an idea about that but we'll get back to that okay 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 i'm very interested she is bringing a package from alpha's owner who isn't present and alpha is wondering if if and when they will come back and the package is a camera for alpha to start documenting her life with the camera comes a message but the message isn't written on a letter it is stored inside Kokone. And I'm sitting there going, okay, so she is gonna now verbally deliver the message. No. She asks Alpha to stick out her tongue. Okay, where the fuck is this supposed to lead? And then in the next panel, they are kissing, because that is how apparently robots share message in the post-apocalypse. Great, okay, so we're literally just doing the whole it's hot seeing two ladies kiss and also very weird considering something I did mention, which is that Alpha and Kokone look very similar. They basically look like twins. So it's a little bit of twin cest to just drizzle the sparks on top of this already questionable buffet. Yeah, that's a perfect example. And it comes back again in order to sort of plug in. She has to put the cable in her mouth, (laughs) Um, which again, it's just, I mean, you could look at it this way. All the robots in this world were just designed by someone who wanted to see their robots doing this shit, which isn't entirely unfeasible, but I feel like it comes from the author, not any consideration of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're so right. If there was a explanation that there was some fucking Aero Sensei hentai pervert sitting there being like, oh, if I just make all these hot uh, lookalike ladies just duking it out, I can sit there and fap to it. You would go like, okay, my brother in Christ, at least you had your fucking reasons, although I do not agree. 
agree. But yeah, as you say, it really feels like it's from the author. Yeah, and here's where my theory about Ona-san comes in. I think it's a self-insert by the author. No. I think the author thinks of himself as Althor's no. absent owner. And later volumes may prove me wrong, but I don't want to read any more of this, so... Uh... Oh, I hate that that's a theory that is very likely. I, again, also, I really do not want to read any more of this. I think it's pretty fucking clear our thoughts on this. I think the funny thing <laughs> is I feel like we're being harder on this than New York, New York, who had literal fucking rape and abduction and violence and all the... Even, like, pedophilia and stuff in it. And yet... Somehow, it it just... I feel so betrayed by this one. It's very strange. I think because it's so... Like in New York, New York, it's so over the top and on the surface. There's no way you can miss it. It's right there for you. The author's sort of taking the piss out of herself quite a bit. And it's so goofy. I don't feel... <laughs> It didn't leave me with that horribly uncomfortable feeling. Again, I don't know whether that's just because I'm used to that kind of thing in certain contexts. But the fact that it's so simmery under the surface in this, and that it's masquerading as this kind of lovely slice-of-life comic, it leaves me thinking that there are probably people who think that there are really women who behave like Alpha. So here's an interesting example. Chapter 15 is exactly how I remember that anime being. It's really chill... It's got a slightly mature tone. It's a flashback to Oji-san and his old flame cruising through a blocked-off road that's been covered in sand dunes. And it's a beautiful, really unusual image of the apocalypse that felt so enchanting. And if the whole book had just been full of that, it would have been wonderful. But it wasn't, as we very exhaustively pointed out. The funny thing is, in the very next chapter, in chapter 16, was one of my other, hmm, don't like that, notes, which is when Kokone and Alpha are meeting up again, and Kokone is showing up on her new Vespa, and to turn it on, they just touch a button on the bike. <gasps> oh god, yeah, this bit. Let me just walk you through the panels. Alpha has taken a seat on the Vespa turns on the button, has a visible reaction where she's blushing. Then she says, when I turned it on, Kokone says, oh, that? You get used to it fast. It happened to me too. Oh. And then she just sits on the bike, vibrating, making a mmm sound. And in the next panel, she says, it kind of feels good. Kokone answering, I think so too. And I just wrote, this is straight up fucking Chobits. Like she has her fucking on button in her badge <laughs> and she is getting off by sitting on a fucking Vespa. Yeah. And it's also kind of like, especially as a younger reader, you wouldn't notice that. It wouldn't mean anything to you. Oh, there's another little bit like the way that this thing portrays itself in tiny little pieces. On page 187, we have the uncle kind of commenting on having met Kokone, and he says, holy smokes, did she look like you? Followed by the word, imagine. And I was like, imagine what? <laughs> what are you imagining, uncle? <laughs> I beg your pardon, uncle? Yeah, like it just, and it's never elaborated on. And I suppose you do have to be slightly jaded and dirty to consider that, you know, maybe he is imagining something sexual. But there's just something about his vibe and the vibe of this whole thing which made me go right there. But what the fuck else would he imagine? Imagine them making coffee together? <laughs> right, exactly. It's just, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like having a, a, a really lovely swim in a beautiful swimming pool, but it's covered in pondweed and you just come out covered in pondweed. This manga gave me sensory issues. 
That's that's a great like headline for our overall show. <laughs> Review of Yokohama Kaidashi Kiku. This gave me sensory issues. <laughs> I feel a little bad though, as I am sure there's people out there who fucking love this, just like people love Neon Genesis Evangelion and Madoka and all of this stuff. And if that's you, that's fine. That's super fine. I probably also like stuff that the rest of the world goes fucking Metal Gear solid sound effect on. But yeah, I don't know, dude. This this wasn't it for me. There's also another thing that I noted, which is the conversations feel really off. Every time they actually interact with one another, it feels really bizarre. And I wondered if it was a translation issue, kind of like with Junji Ito at times, where you're going, hmm, this is very weird. People don't talk like this. But in this one, it just, it's so disconnected and disjointed that I, I was left wondering if it was a translation issue or if they just talk that weirdly with one another. I got the same impression and I did have the same question as well. I'm not really sure. I think for me, the thing that gives it away is the body language. Like nobody acts like Alpha unless they've seen people acting like Alpha and want to imitate them. She's apparently a robot slash grown woman, but behaves in an incredibly like forced, naive, childish way. As I said before, it's that, I'm an enemy girl. It's uwu. That's it. It's pure (laughs) uwu all the way through. And I'm sorry, but no one is uwu in real life, ever, unless they've watched anime. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I'm inclined to agree with that, dude. I keep coming back to the initial note that I made that there is something so sincerely nostalgic in a beautiful way and very pure about this that is so shattered being made by a dude who just, in my humble opinion, don't know how to handle the source material. Because again, I really enjoy the premise. I think it's really sweet to make up the idea of what if, in a post-apocalyptic world, people, instead of turning into Mad Max, turn into, like you mentioned, a post-apocalyptic cafe AU, where people are just sweet and they're trading and interacting. And it is this utopian view of what could potentially happen if the world, quote-unquote, went under. But then it keeps being tarnished by this weird-ass vibe. Oh, maybe this is a strange metaphor for what the apocalypse would really be like. I know a lot of research points to communities under crisis actually being more like this than your average Mad Max film. They tend to draw together, they tend to find common ground, they tend to be cooperative, and actually, typically speaking, the smaller your group of people, the less sort of random murder and the lower the crime rate is. I don't know that those statistics were presented to me as true a a couple of years ago. I I don't know if they genuinely are. But it's always bugged me about post-apocalyptic stuff that authors are obsessed with the negative side of human nature. And it seems to be just an excuse to explore that and an excuse to explore the worst that people can possibly be. Whereas I think it takes a lot of almost bravery to say, no, they may be kind to each other. But at the same time, A small society of people who understood each other and were kind to each other and knew each other would have its undercurrents of weirdness because people couldn't be weird. And it's really refreshing to see that depicted and uh, kind of ironic that it undermines itself in the same way a society of that size might have undermined itself as well through kind of just weird vibes. It almost feels like someone watched Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, which I'm just going to say it, I'm not a fan of the cyberpunk genre for its myriad of problematic representation of 
women, people from certain parts of Asia, etc., etc. It's it's just ripe with really fucking rank ass stereotypes. And it feels like someone watched Blade Runner and went, but what if we make it wholesome, but we hold on to the sexualization of women <laughs> and get rid of almost everything else? Actually, it's a really good way of putting it. And that's what turns it from just sort of author's barely disguised fetish to something genuinely a little bit pernicious, which is this apparent wholesomeness built on top of something deeply unwholesome. To be honest, I spot that in a large number of parts of the internet, and I don't think a lot of parts of the internet can see it in themselves either. I see the word wholesome thrown around so much, and I'm like, really? Blink, blink. (laughs) But he's my murder hobo, baby Ulu. What do you mean it's not wholesome? So wholesome. (laughs) Exactly. There's very much a lot of, of that in this, this sort of weird mix of the unquestioned unwholesome layered under or over the top of something apparently wholesome. And it's hard to draw a line sometimes between straight-up prudishness, like the inability to cope with sexual depictions around you, or not wanting to think that people are in any way sexual at all, ever. This kind of more uncomfortable thing. Because I'm sure a lot of people would sort of dismiss us both as being prudes, but I mean... I know we're not. <laughs> oh, wow. Is that is that how you think some people could take this conversation of we're being prude? Because funnily enough, you saying all of this had like a little ting in my head go off, which is basically what you're already saying, that this is a story that is so weirdly sexualized, but is frightened and terrified of tackling anything sex-related. If it had transparent themes of sexuality with consensual characters and not children, and then layered on the wholesome vibes of trading gas for coffee or being kind to one another. And I'm not saying that there has to be that sexual aspect there at all. You don't need it in a story. But when you're so fucking blatantly craving it, just fucking shit or get off the pot, brother. Do or don't. <laughs> mm, yes, it feels very repest, doesn't it? Like it's sort of simmering under the surface and the... Uh, and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a really neat point. And often my biggest problem with kind of that sort of thing is when an author slash artist is simply incapable of acknowledging or accepting that they have that element in themselves or their artwork. And I've seen people swear blind that their picture of an incredibly busty lady breaking her spine (laughs) to show you her tits and arse at the same time is just perfectly normal artwork and should be allowed everywhere. And I'm like, I'm not going to harsh your vibe. You can draw shit like that if you want. If you get off on it, fine. Like, do it. Whatever. Just don't pretend it's not sexualized. Yeah, let's just fucking call a spade a spade, you know? Exactly, exactly. You can love it, you can hate it, but you've got to see it for what it is. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't have any issues. I mean, that's why I had to swallow a barking laugh when you suggest that some people can find us prude because I, I mean, I have two not safe for work <laughs> tattoos on my body. I literally have a woman finger blasting another woman and a peach with a pussy in it. It's like, you could not fucking accuse me of being a prude, like drag me into church and I'll burst into flames. <laughs> so that's why that's so funny to me. But I'm also very honest about, not in a creepy way, because I also have no fucking desire to bring my likes and dislikes and the sexual manners to the public. But I mean, you also don't have to squint real fucking hard to see what I like and don't like, you know? And I also don't right. try to be fucking cute and coy about it. And again, I respect that people have privacy, people are different. Some people inherently are also just unsexual beings, and that's also perfectly fine. But 
again, to bring it back and kick a fucking wounded horse, if you're going to be this fucking blatant beneath the surface that your yums are yummy, then yum fucking harder, dude, instead of trying to yuck it. You know what? I think maybe we should all be glad that this didn't yum harder because then it would probably be jailable material. (laughs) Then we couldn't talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. Straight to jail. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's that much left to discuss, to be honest. We've we've acknowledged that it's... It, it can be sweet, and we've acknowledged that there are some lovely contemplative sequences in it that the anime really saw and ran with and produced something genuinely emotional feeling out of. The only other thing left is the weird stilted relationships between these characters and the odd sense of creepiness underneath it all, because there's not that much to the plot. It's a bit like The Walking Man. Once you've kind of discussed the broad premise, you know everything there is to know about it other than its technical execution. And uh, yeah, you couldn't really get to more polar technical executions than this in The Walking Man. Yeah, for real. So if you want the wholesome version of this minus apocalyptic tendencies, then go read The Walking Man. So for the next episode, we are tackling Cosmonites by Hannah Templer. I'm going in blind. Are you going in blind here? Yeah, I am going in completely unknowing. Okay, bro. Well, looking forward to it. Same. It can't be as bad as this. (laughs) (laughs) I think most of our picks for for this year is probably going to be better. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, talk next time. Yeah, see you soon. Bye. Bye. Mad gangs on bike rate. Sorry. Do you want to do your blurb first, or shall I do mine? I quite like the escalation from my blurbs to yours. Okay, so okay. Why don't I do mine first? <laughs> um, okay, right. <clears throat> I was trying desperately not to crack up whilst you were doing that blurb. I had to put my hand in front of my mouth. Oh, that's fair, that's fair. I just really hate Voltron the show. Oh, yeah, I was, wasn't a great fan either. I mean, it wasn't really anything to love there. Oh, the, the, the nerd community would uh, have your head for that, so uh, I'm going to cut that out. Oh, <laughs> you got me on record saying it. Voltron sucks, Voltron sucks. <laughs> that's going in, <laughs> in the bloopers. Um...